Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. of the game, St George, Illawarra to the death, trying, Brown goes to the air, going back is Mabel, oh, leaping high and taking it in marvellous fashion with Rod Wishart, he has scored an incredible try and ties this fourth game up. Bartram from 18 metres out, he strikes it nicely, St George, Illawarra win for the first time in their premiership line. Here's Nathan Blacklock. Down the sideline, chipping over the top of Joel Kane. Got a red saucer's bounce to win the game for the Dragons and book himself a New South Wales Blues origin jumper. Greetings, Dragons fans. Welcome to episode 151 of the Red V Podcast. Uh, Jack Clifton and Curtis Woodward behind the mic here to guide you through everything about the mighty St. George Illawarra Dragons as we continue to work our way uh, through the NRL offseason. We've got a little bit of news for you tonight, of course. Going to really try and delve deep into all the Matt Cooper comments that happened over the weekend. The Dragons having their, I guess, 10 or um, 12-year um, anniversary of the, the 2010 Premiership side, uh, whichever way you want to look at it. And, and Matt Cooper kind of came out with some some pretty severe comments on social media over the weekend. So myself and Kurt are going to jump into that. We're also going to play you part five of the Missing Rings documentary, the final part of uh, that incredible story about the 1992 and 1993 St. George Dragons. I really appreciate the kind words that people have sent through to us about that. So looking forward to playing you part five a little bit later on the podcast. And we'll also uh, round out the show like we do each and every week uh, by delving through your uh, fans corner uh, questions uh, that'll be happening a little bit later on in the podcast. Well, we missed him last week. I was probably a little bit selfish. I wanted to get the podcast out and about and, um, uh, I left Kurt, Kurt Wood on the bench. Uh, I did the old Wayne Bennett trick of leaving the 17th man on the pine. He didn't get to play any minutes last week, but he's uh, he's been promoted to the starting side this week. I'm looking forward to chatting some Dragons footy with him, and uh, that's his Kurt, Curtis Woodward is on the line uh, here to talk everything St. George Illawarra. Kurt, a very good evening to you, mate. How are you going out in the golden west of Sydney, mate? Almost almost flipped the lid last week and, and went Matt Cooper on Twitter and like, <laughs> you know, having a go at the Red V podcast. No, no, no. Um, look, obviously, at this time of the year, if there is stuff to talk about, then, um, you know, we will do that. But, um, yeah, another another interesting week. A bit scandalous. I, I, I do enjoy this this kind of thing. And it doesn't really hurt anyone, the, the Matt Cooper stuff, which we'll get to in a second. But I, I, I'm looking forward to some of the questions tonight, some, some really engaging, um, thought-provoking questions from the fans tonight. So looking forward to getting stuck in. 
Yeah, it's, it's definitely going to be an interesting uh, fans corner section as it is when we jump into our Dragons news and updates um, very, very shortly where we'll talk about uh, Matt Cooper. So the, uh, even though there might not be a load of Dragons news around, uh, there's certainly some some stuff that's going to uh, maybe uh, prick up the ears of Dragons fans who are listening uh, to this podcast. So we'll uh, jump into that uh, very, very shortly. But before we uh, jump into our Dragons news and updates section, we've actually got a new sponsor here at the Red V Podcast, which we're very, very excited about. It's uh, kind of been in the works for the last uh, few weeks and it's Nord. VPN. So I know there's probably some fans out there that know, know a little bit um, about uh, Nord VPN. So perhaps yeah, you might be missing out on your, your favourite show because it's not available um, in, in your country, might not be available in Australia, or maybe you're being denied the chance to watch uh, some of the best uh, sport that Europe and Northern America has to offer. Well, we want to talk to you a little bit tonight about uh, Nord VPN. So if you're getting a bit bored of Australian Netflix, if you're scrolling through um, uh, minutes after minutes of, of TV shows and movies and nothing uh, piques your interest, why not give the American Netflix a taste, or perhaps you're keen for some binging of English content. None of this is out of reach thanks to NordVPN. They have more than 5,000 server options, uh, so the opportunities are endless. So if you use the uh, direct link, nordvpn.com forward slash redvpodcast, you great listeners, you great fans of this podcast uh, will get a great discount on two years plus four free months uh, if you do uh, sign up using uh, that link. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe uh, with a new three protection feature so say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware even if you downloaded an effective file a threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer and don't forget there's literally no risk to you uh, with their 30-day money-back guarantee so give it a try and if you like it great if you don't they'll issue you a refund and you can pretend the entire situation never happened kind of like the dragons 2021 season and 2022 season for that matter so check out the link nordvpn.com forward slash redby podcast uh, to get your subscription started uh, today. I know there's uh, they do some fantastic stuff, NordVPN, and they've been very kind to us here at the podcast. And uh, for the next uh, three weeks, we'll be uh, promoting uh, their uh their product and yeah um, would appreciate you um, yeah showing them a little bit of love jumping on if that has piqued your interest uh, then jump onto the website nordvpn.com forward slash red v podcast but let's uh, jump into our uh, dragons news and updates got a little bit of get to uh, a little bit of stuff to get through and we'll be talking all about that matt cooper news Well, it's been all the buzz on social media over the weekend. Matt Cooper coming out on Twitter on Saturday. And it was kind of, uh, it was it was just, uh, it was a little bit weird. Like we've seen some, um, I guess, obscure things from from past players um, on social media before. And we kind of have seen Matt Cooper Bobby's head up from time to time saying he wants to work with the Dragons outside backs and, and maybe not criticizing the defense, but saying that uh, the the edge defense certainly needs uh, needs some help. But it was, it was kind of a weird, um, a weird tweet for him to send out. Um, uh, Dragons fans kind of knew that the, the reunion was going on. There'd been a little bits and pieces that had popped up on social media, Kurt. But then he kind of came out and he said, I want to apologize to my 2010 premiership team for not attending the 10 to 12 year reunion. The reason why I did not attend was I didn't want to make a scene and ruin a special occasion. Knowing former CEO and a player who did not even play in the game were going to be there. It's kind of like when you've got an issue that you really want to tell people about and you kind of try and find an excuse to get it out there. That's what it, it certainly felt like. And I wouldn't say that he was savaged in the comments, but a lot of fans and a lot of 
of people were saying, well, why are you, why are you airing all this dirty laundry on social media? You have all the phone numbers of um, the, the, the players that you played with and different things. Why didn't you message them directly? Um, and then he, he did a follow-up tweet later, about five or six hours later, and said, I can see a lot of people are wondering why I sent that tweet. It was my only way to let the players know why I wasn't there. With the why, it has to do with what happened to me when I retired. I'm not going to share that right now, but the truth will come out next year. Well, the talk around town, Kurt, is, the, is he does he has a real issue with former CEO Peter Douster. Uh, uh, I guess if you, if you listen to the rumor in innu- innuendo, then yeah, it's, it's the fact that he was kind of offered a job at the Dragons and then that was that was rescinded. Um, we, I'm not going to go on um, public record and say about who the player he has an issue with. We've, we've kind of heard a few different murmurs from different people, but we certainly know that Peter Doust is, I guess, one piece of that puzzle. What have you made of these comments over the last uh, two or three days of, of Matt Kubikert? Yeah, I, look, there's, there's two sides to this. The first one is he's a legend of the club and has every right to give any opinion he wants um, on, on the future of the club, the direction of the club. But but using the platform of Twitter to basically say, oh, I'm not going to this reunion because of this, there, there's no way he's not in a uh, either Facebook group chat with his ex-teammates or WhatsApp or something like that. 100%, I'm sure... Uh, the ones he he's still close to probably got a, a pre-warning of his tweet. That's just speculation, but come on, as, as if he wasn't talking to the players months in advance that 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 he maybe was planning on not going. Interesting timing too. I, I smell a book. I, I, mm. I think um, a autobiography might be on the way. Um, the, the great Eric Bischoff once said, "Controversy creates cash." He did. Yep. Of course, um, and look if you if you want to push a book these days, you need to have some momentum behind it. Well, this is this is this is some like nineteen nineties wrestling storyline right here, oh, Kurt. This is almost yeah. this is almost a crossover with League World Order. <laughs> I'm getting itchy because I haven't done a, a wrestling podcast for a while. Well, Matt, but... Matt Cooper's he's just he's just cut a promo on the Dragons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, there's two sides to it. I, uh, look, there is history with with obviously Cooper mm. coming out on, on social media um, and giving his passionate pleas and opinions on the club, but this this is kind of murky waters. And even mm. for, as Paul Kent would call them, the the the, the cesspool on Twitter. I mean, that, which I find ironic or, or funny because considering I think what he writes, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's some of the the smarter football fans are actually on Twitter compared to some of the the, the shit you see on Facebook and the comment section. So I think there's something there, Matt Cooper. Um, yeah, I, I think he's there's something more to it, particularly when he said you'll find out more about it next year. Also, too, that and and, and look, he may have a, a difference of opinion with an ex-player. With you don't have to be best mates with every player you ever played with, but if if you've got a reunion that comes around, particularly a grand final premiership winning reunion, I, I just assume that that the the, the the full twenty-five man squads or anyone that played a game that year that helped push towards that grand final would go and have a beer with their mates and, and to catch up, you know, if if, if I got an invitation tomorrow mm. from, from Picton or Norellan or MacArthur Saints or Ashcroft or the, the million teams I played for, you, you would expect to see Joe Bloggs who played one game off the bench there. Yeah. It, it, it's not, you know. So, um, look, whatever it is with Dowse, that will probably be the lead of his book, which I'm assuming is coming, and I'm sure there's going to be some more scandalous stuff from Matt Cooper in the coming months or it's a bit silly, really, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. Because I'm looking at it at the angle of Matt Cooper, legend of the club, as, as 
um, been uh, is is obviously disappointed with with the dragons that he hasn't got a job and and the fact that the, I guess the the news has kind of come out that yeah um, uh, allegedly uh, Peter Doust had offered him a job and rescinded it. But even recently, he said that he would love to work with the dragons, um, maybe even in a similar role to what Jamie Sauer does, where he's there. Well, initially when Sauer came in, was there like one or two days a week. So I just feel like trashing the trashing the club and and because well, Peter Doust is still involved with the dragons, I, I, I believe he's still one one of the the um the members on the St George District Rugby League board. So Scomo backbencher. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I just don't I don't I just don't think comments like this it, it's I think it's all fine to kind of say this kind of stuff when you're hanging with mates or um yeah yeah you're down at the pub or whatever or behind closed doors. But I think yeah airing the dirty laundry I, I don't think it's gonna reflect well on Matt Cooper, I don't think. Yeah, I don't think a club is wanna is gonna want to invest their time or money um in someone like that. That's that's gonna that's gonna come out. And and, and to be honest, he he might be he's definitely well within his rights to say these things. And and he might be on really on the money, on point with with what he's saying. And and maybe things will come out in in the coming months, and we'll be like, okay, well, yeah, like Matt Cooper had a point. But I, I think just from from an outsider looking in, um. Maybe not from 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 a neutral standpoint, but just as a as a rugby league fan, I, I just don't think it, it bodes well for for Coops. And I think it probably uh, for me it tarnishes his legacy a little bit. I think he was um, well, at least on the field was 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 a clean skinner at New South Wales, an Australian rep, scored over 100, uh, 100 tries for the Dragons, played close to the 250 games for, for the Red V. It's, um, yeah, it's just unfortunate that, yeah, maybe some of these comments might just tarnish his reputation within the club, within kind of power brokers within the club and, and ex-players, but I think also fans, which is probably the legacy that you want to keep um, when you when you play with any club and, and, and any period of time you spend at an organisation, you, you probably want to be uh, reflected as a, as a player um, that the fans fans respect and I guess just trolling through some of those or trolling through some of those those comments on Saturday um Kurt it, it, it looked like there, there are a few fans that uh, may be getting a little bit a little bit tired of, of what Coops has been saying on social media yeah and look that there, there are those outspoken types you know legends of clubs in all sports where kind of the, the harder they try publicly to support the club the, the more of a grave they dig you, you see mm-hmm. it in and they kind of become the those outposts that that you know they they originally meant well, and then somewhere along the line they didn't get the, the, the they didn't get that back or they didn't feel the love back or the support that they expected, and then they kind of just you know burn bridges and, and make it worse yeah. and worse and worse. So I hope it doesn't get that far. But if at some point I, I and look again, this is just you know two blokes on a podcast, so it's our opinions. Um, what I'm thinking is maybe somewhere 12 months ago, Matt Cooper truly had the, the future of the club and, 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 and in mind, and he wanted to push forward and be part of that and see change. Mm. And maybe when he didn't, you know, feel that love back, he, he's kind of now being pushed the other way. And it's like, well, you know, if you guys aren't going to help me, then, then I'm going to, I'm just going to blab and, 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 you know, tell all. And maybe someone's come along and said, look, you know, don't 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 do it for free. Let's make some money off it. So again, that's just guessing. That, but mm. the the way this is going, I mean, if we start to see a few more tweets from Matt Cooper in the next, you know, four weeks, then chances are that uh, that 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 is building towards a tell-all of some sort where he's going to get paid a, a a bit of money to do so. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly an interesting one. I, I guess when you look through um, look through the, the the recent tweets, he kind of went in on the on the club when it, when it came to the Red V Awards night and, and and saying the club had no loyalty and honour. And I think that's probably true to an extent. But uh, yeah, um, I, I know we've got a, a question from from Jim Cat on Twitter, a, a, a really good follower here of the podcast, um, a, a little bit about that. So I don't want to kind of steal his glory, but yeah, the you don't want to kind of be going going the other way where you're constantly trashing the club all the time, um, even when the good times eventually do uh, do roll away around, but I'm sure that's going to be one that we'll we'll just kind of stick a pin in because I'm sure we'll go back to that maybe next week and maybe further into the coming weeks as no doubt some more news comes out um, about Matt Cooper. Uh, that pretty much wraps up all of our Dragons news and updates, of, uh, as you can probably imagine, well and truly into cricket season now. So not a whole lot of news about uh, about the Dragons. They have got that uh, that forthcoming match against St Helens in February. I know the members' pre-sale tickets are, are coming out for that, and of course, as we we touched on just briefly before. Uh, the 2010 uh, Premiership side uh, having a reunion. And I guess quickly just to touch on that, Kurt, uh, 12 years, it, it's re- it's remarkable. It seems it seems um, like it wasn't that long ago, but but 12 years since the Dragons won won the Premiership. And I know a lot of people, a lot of Dragons fans, myself included, obviously not happy about the weight that we've had to had to endure in in these those tough years. But but that 2010 Premiership side, that was a real watershed season, not just for the Dragons, not just for Dragons fans and players, uh, uh, but I, I just think for rugby league in general when you think that St. George last won a premiership in 1979 uh, that had a host of grand final defeats in the 90s, including the the very first um, season of St. George Illawarra. Illawarra kind of had that heartbreak in 92 where they got within a game of the grand final and unfortunately weren't able to to really make too many semi-final appearances. So it was it, it seemed like it was such a really big moment for for the area, just living in the Sutherland Shire as well. There were so many Dragons flag flags everywhere. People really, really got into it and were really excited about it. And um, I guess those 13 men, those 17 men, those 30 men that were in the in the squad for the Dragons, it's always going to be reflected back on brightly because as St. George Illawarra, as that that merge entity, that, that they're the, they were the team to, to win the very first premiership as St. George Illawarra. Yeah, when you think about it too, when you, when you look back now, I, I guess, I can't remember if, if people were talking about it at the time, but it was... I'm not going to say it was their, their last chance for a lot of these players, but a lot of those guys had been around for a long time by, by 2010. Hornby, um, Gaznia went to France, came back. Young. Cooper was, was a veteran by then. Dean Young was not even training. He didn't have, a, he didn't have knees. He, he wasn't, mm. you know, he, he, he couldn't run. Um, and then you had guys like uh, Neville Costigan, who, who probably played his best football around that time, maybe just before the Broncos, but was finally a peak. Jeremy Smith and, and I guess, too, with, with, with teams like that, like Wendell Saylor, who did not play in the grand final, but reminded me a little bit of um, when Manly finally won their premiership in 2008. Ben mm-hmm. Kennedy um, was in the crowd. He'd retired the year before, but a lot of Manly officials look at the signing of Ben Kennedy as the turning point that actually said, right, we've got these great kids and that kind of thing. You know, Wayne Bennett, Wendell Saylor coming down, Darius Boyd, there's – I mean, when you look back, it's so easy to make a list when you look back in time and say 100, 200 things have to fall into place in all these tiny spots just for you to get to a grand final, and then you've got to win a grand final. So mm. it, it was, a, you know, Nathan Fiend, the, the, the Queensland yeah. Kiwi, you know. the It, it, was, it was a great team, and they, they played, uh, look, from a neutral, but they did play – a boring style of football, but 
that boring style of football was so intimidating mm. because it was truly like, um, like at the time, you know, you would say that Melbourne was a big python, you know, and they would yeah. just wrap and squeeze you. So basically when you played the Dragons, it wasn't like, oh, we might get pumped by 60 here, but you still walked in the game and you are paying five bucks at the TAB. Yeah. And as the game went on and, and Seattle started kicking penalty goals, you're like, well, the game's over. We're, we're down by seven. We're down by six. With 25 to play, we can't beat the Dragons. That, that's how good they were at, 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 at you know, getting the best out of that squad tactically. Mm. So, um, you know, I, and I see all the time, your, you know, your greatest grand final teams and all these fantasy lineups and, and the Dragons 210 doesn't really ever get a mention because of the way they played. Um, some would say that the, the halves pairing was soured and Hornby not as exciting as a Morgan or Thurston or a Benji and Prince sort of. They didn't have to be. No. So you could you could line that Dragons 2010 team in its peak up against any of the other premiership teams from the last 20 years. And on any given day, that, that Dragons team could win. So... Mm. And, and 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 do it in a way that only they could do it. So, um, yeah, uh, it, it's a great team, and they deserve all the accolades. But it's about time they um, it's about time for a new era because, um, it's at that point now, and, and I can I can hear it with you. I can hear it with other Dragons fans. It's kind of like, well, we, you know, we we have to celebrate that because what else have we had since? Mm. Um. So, you know, I, I, you know, I'm even sick and tired of talking about 2010, so I'll, I'll just imagine how the Dragons fans feel. But, yeah, yeah full credit, amazing team. Um, and, and like I said, they could beat any of the other the grand final teams in the last 20 years, you know, easily. And when I mean easily, it might be 10-6 or 12-2, but that's easy for the Dragons. Yeah. Uh, Does that make any sense? Yeah, it made a lot of sense, Curtis, as a lot of things that you say do. Um, yeah, it made, made a lot of sense. And I think the big thing about that season was was not the not the point score. The, the Dragons' attack was was commendable, 518 points. But um, Penrith, who finished second that year, scored 645. And then you also had, like, uh, the, the Roosters, 559. Even Manly, who finished eighth, and South, who finished ninth, scored more points than the Dragons. But their defense was incredible. Only conceded 299 points in the regular season. That was... 12 points on average per game and then the next best defensive side that year was the New Zealand Warriors who finished fifth who conceded 486 so the Dragons conceded 187 points less than the, the next best defensive unit and then only conceded 20 points in the in the three semi-final um, games they had including the grand final so uh, defense was that's what Wayne Bennett has, has kind of underpinned his sides on um, I guess that probably gets glossed over a little bit with the fact that he he coached those great Brisbane sides of, of Langer and uh, and Renoff and Lockyer and those wonderful players, a sailor that could score tries from anywhere in the field. But he made the Dragons a really tough, uncompromising outfit. And I think that's what Dragons fans miss. And as you mentioned, it has been a pretty barren last decade or so. Hopefully things do change in the not too distant future. Before we move off from our Dragons news and updates, let's do the Who Am I for this week on episode 151. And this player played almost his entire career with the St. George Dragons. Now we're going back uh, into uh, into the time machine, way back into the 1950s and 60s. And this particular individual did play as part of that incredible run of the St. George Dragons between 1956 and 1966. He actually made his debut uh, for St. George in 1955 and went on to play his career at the Saints between 1955 and 1964. 114 games, uh, 20 tries and 287 goals. He then played 35 games for the Newtown Jets between 1960 
1965 and 1967. He was born in Grafton in New South Wales in 1936, and his main position uh, was fullback. Now, he has a couple of kind of interesting things that happened in this particular uh, individual's uh, career. Obviously, uh, played in those uh, wonderful uh, performances of the Dragons. Um, he uh, he uh, didn't play first grade in 1956, uh, but he did play at fullback in the win in the 1957 grand final, uh, and then again in 1958. He followed it up uh, by playing in the, the 1959, uh, 1960, and 1961 premierships. Had quite a quite a nice uh, little run there. But then in uh, throughout late 1962 and throughout 1963, uh, he was actually transferred because of his work um, in an oil company uh, to Korea. So he actually missed out on probably two fairly productive seasons in 1962 and 1963 uh, with St. George. And the last little clue we'll give you is that he, uh, this particular individual did transfer uh, to um, the Newtown Jets in 1965, but he actually had a pay dispute with them and it actually took his club um, or libeled his club to the New South Wales uh, Rugby League uh, and eventually um, was uh, was able to kind of get that get that money and became a club captain in his final year with the Jets in, in 1967. And ironically enough and funnily enough, in 1979, uh, his 19-year-old son, uh, Philip, also started playing the first grade for St. George as well, which was kind of a nice little time to watch what, what what we're discussing earlier, that was the year uh, that the, the Dragons won their, their last premiership prior to uh, to 2010. So lots of uh, meaty pieces of information there. Obviously always hard when we go back to the 50s and 60s. Uh, he was a goal kicker as well. Kurt, does that give you any inkling on who you think it might be for this week? No, nah, you've gone full nerd on me, Jack. I've got nothing. I think I would struggle though if uh, if you asked me about a Western Suburbs player that oh, played in the 1960s. <laughs> I will I will say like I I, I, I if I'd read one of my Dragon books in the last couple of weeks I've, and I've got a bunch of them I'll probably get it. Um, mm. And and by the way, little I'm, I'm sure we're going to speak about Jeff Armstrong in a minute. I haven't got his um, most recent one, but yeah, no idea, mate. And I'll leave that to the listeners to um, try to get that one this week. Yeah, hopefully you can decipher it. We've given him plenty of clues that will reveal the uh, answer at the end of the podcast. It's time for us to take our first break here on episode 151 of the Red V Podcast. We continue to delve our way through the off-season by playing you part five of the Missing Rings documentary. And we've got through the middle part of 1993 and part five concludes by taking a look at what was end up being a great run to the end of the regular season for the Dragons in 1993. They had great wins against top sides like Canterbury and Brisbane leading into the semifinals and actually finished equal on points but finished second in the premiership and then made their way all the way through to the grand final but even post grand final we talk about the influence that Brian Smith had the influence that these players had uh, in putting St George back on the map after a barren run hopefully something that uh, the current St George Illawarra side uh, might be able to learn from uh, in future years but part five of the Mr Rings coming up next here on the Red V podcast this is a Red V podcast documentary bringing you the story of the missing rings detailing the 1992 and 1993 seasons of the St. George Dragons. Rising from the ashes of the struggles of the late 1980s to rebuilding the most famous club in rugby league to its rightful place. We hope you enjoy this five-part documentary series on an era that was hugely successful at the St. George Dragons and ultimately restored pride back into the Red V. This is the missing rings.
part five, the rise, fall, and rise again of the St. George Dragons. Following this breathtaking victory, Saints swept aside an extremely poor South Sydney outfit, 42 points to six, to further consolidate their standing as one of the Premiership heavyweights. Phil Blake was starting to demonstrate the kind of form that had as many as five clubs chasing him in the off-season, while Mark Coyne had his best game of the season with sidesteps galore in his three-try haul. Overall, it was a much more complete performance than the one the Saints had dished up against Manly. The Dragons even took the opportunity to rest established stars Scott Goulet and Noel Goldthorpe. Jeff Hardy spent time in the halves and scored two tries himself, as well as setting up a try for 5'8 Phil Blake. The Dragons were humming. The confidence and egos took a shattering blow in round 16 against Canberra. With Ricky Stewart back alongside their full complement of representative stars, Canberra embarrassed the Dragons by 30 points to 2 in Adelaide. It was again an unhappy trip home from South Australia for the Dragons after their loss against Brisbane at the same ground last winter. To many, it seemed like the wake-up call that St George needed to have. Despite some close matches previously, the Saints had coasted through with big victories against both Easts and Souths. A plucky win against Manly didn't come without a few hiccups, as well as a sloppy win against Newcastle. Coach Smith wasn't overly upset about the loss, but felt more for his players who were suffering from bruised egos. St George righted the wrongs of the previous week with a come-from-behind win against Balmain at Leichhardt. Balmain had been in disarray with infighting, coaching turmoil and just general poor form over the preceding six weeks. In many ways, the win by the Dragons was eerily similar to their victory against Manly a few weeks prior. Saints were trailing for large portions of the match, and if it wasn't for a little bit of genius from the likes of Noel Goldthorpe, Graham Bradley and Wayne Collins, the Dragons would have been staring at back-to-back defeats. The Red V prevailed 18 points to 16, with Ricky Walford back amongst the tries with yet another double, whilst Wayne Collins and Graham Bradley also contributed to the victory with tries. Here come the Dragons. They're in enemy territory. And the Balmain fans, a pretty enthusiastic bunch today as well. Scrum fed, just 10 metres out, and the weight from Balmain. Ball finally comes back, almost went against the feed. Hardy. It's about now to coin. Points it's a beautiful ball to Potter. Walford, unmarked. Pressure comes across, and Ricky Walford finishes it off. Managed to ground the ball in the corner as Brasher tried to lock him up. Simple enough play by St George, but some very neat work to get free. Brad McCoy showing his agility. One man's a little bit more uh, agile, I think. Only five metres out here. Hardy, quick ball to Goulet. Pops it for Coyne. Looked at Walford. Decided to hang on, flicks it out now, Ricky Walker, oh, miracle ball. They've escaped the trap. They had been rounded up by the Balmain defence, and somehow they managed to slip a ball out from under the crowd of booing, maybe suggesting that the tackle had been completed. St George, second try, they lead eight points to four. Right on their goal line, Balmain. Sharp pass intercepted by Vasari. He's chased by Goldthorpe. David Vasari sprinting away. Noel Goldthorpe can't get him. He's going to cut off the line to the post. Donnelly coming from the far side, right on the goal line. And Vasari goes to the ground very quickly once he saw Donnelly arriving. Length of the field, 95 metres by David Vasari, just as St George were odds on to score. It's gone the other way. Brown to Davis coming across the ruck. Smith, Skyer, 
On it goes to Edwards, and he scores the try. Danger signs here for St George. Balmain are doing it very nicely with 13 against 12. They ran Saints ragged in that last set of six, got six more tackles, and used it to advantage. Balmain 14, St George 8. Goldthorpe. Hill, 10 metres out. Fifth tackle coming up. Goulet goes in closer to the ruck. He went the blind side. Tierney, not too sure what to do. Kicks it across. Donnelly on the charge. Just getting back was Corker, but he couldn't save it. It's a try to St George. Graham Bradley has got the try. Graham Bradley there to pick up the crumbs. It looked as if Corcoran had managed to save it for Balmain. Very important kick. 20 minutes to go. And Smith puts it through. Somebody likes it. Balmain leads. 16-14. Collins to Goulet. Trying to stand and he gets it back to Collins. He's over. Try to St George to Wayne Collins. A dummy half. Coming around again to get the pass. And St. George jumped back in the lead. Seesawing game. It's the Dragons, 18. The Tigers, 16. One last fling for the Tigers. And good work from referee Annesley to call timeout. He's called timeout, but the clock is still ticking down. As long as the crowd stays off the field, that clock mightn't count. The referee is going to enforce that the scrum feed goes on. That clock should have stopped and it didn't. Balmain have got it. Maybe Graham Lyons can chase it. Little kick. Sinclair coming through. Well read by Mark Coyne. And a much relieved St George. Mark Coyne reacting to that tackle. It was unnecessary. The game was well and truly finished. And it was Sinclair throwing Coyne on his back. But a very disappointed Balmain. A relieved St George. An unconvincing performance from St George coming on the back of last week's loss. But the Dragons have defeated Balmain 18 points to 16. The Dragons' short-lived revival came shuddering to a halt with an 18 points to 6 defeat to local rivals Cronulla in round 18. A parochial Cogga crowd in excess of 12,000 turned up, hoping to see a rejuvenated St George begin their charge to the semi-finals. Instead, what they saw was a spluttering version of St George that had rarely been seen during the Brian Smith era. One of the few positive for the Dragons was the raging bull Gordon Tallis making his run on debut. He made some damaging runs out wide and was a handful for the Sharks' defence. Heads rolled after loss with props Sean McVean and hooker Wayne Collins dropped to the reserves in a front row purge by Brian Smith. That wasn't all either. A two and three quarter hour training session delivered by conditioner Scott Campbell had St George players sprawled across Cogra Oval, desperate for some kind of relief or even water. It again showed the no holds barred attitude from Coach Smith, who had laid out his own form of punishment after the embarrassing loss. The players used the headlines of the papers to fire them up for the forthcoming clash against Parramatta. For weeks, the media had regularly printed that St George would be the side to fall out of the top five. These were the same bunch that had given Saints no chance in 1992 and had them as 20 to 1 outsiders to make the finals in 1993. Headlines such as Saints on the skids would be used as motivation as the Dragons returned to Cogra to face Parramatta. St George finally gave their home fans something to cheer about in their final game at Cogra for 1993. 
After an insipid display against Cronulla the week prior, the Saints demolished Parramatta 36 points to four in front of a solid home crowd of 10,024 people. Jason Donnelly scored two more tries in a commanding performance. Unfortunately for the barnstorming Kiwi winger, he would play just one more game during the 1993 season, with the injury curse striking him again, this time fracturing his ankle. It would be a painful blow, not just for Donnelly, but for the St George side. Elsewhere, Nathan Brown, starting in the place of Wayne Collins, continued to put pressure on the Dragons' number one hooker with an inspired display. Brown showed creativity in attack and consistently had Parramatta on the back foot with arguably his finest performance in first grade. Another youngster, Gordon Tallis, ran roughshod over a shell-shock Ills defence and filled the void vacated by the suspended David Barnhill. The inconsistent form that had plagued St George in the second half of the 1993 Winfield Cup continued to rear its ugly head as they fell to defeat to Penrith. It was a youthful dragon side that lined up as Brian Smith attempted to keep his squad fresh. Jewel star athlete Anthony Mundine made his first grade debut, while fellow youngsters Nathan Brown, Jason Stevens, and Damian Chapman were all in attendance. Mundine had been a focal point of the 1992 St George SG Ball Premiership winning side and was seen as one of the greatest prospects to come out of the St George region for some years. The son of legendary boxer Tony Mundine, Anthony was a creative and elusive centre and 5'8", who in future years would be the integral man to St George's success through the mid to late 1990s. He didn't set the water light in his debut, but many commentators agreed that he didn't look out of place. The loss set up a top-of-the-table showdown with the Canterbury Bulldogs the following week. Saints had already beaten the Dogs once during the 1993 season, and with the minor premiership heating up in the last fortnight of the regular season, there was a lot at stake. The familiar surrounds of Cogra Oval were traded in for the historic Sydney Cricket Ground for the Friday night fixture. In the same venue that the heroes of Langlands, Smith, Raper, Gasney and Proven had made their mark, the current Dragons would be looking to do the same. Canterbury had been the mark of consistency throughout 1993, with a mobile forward pack backed up by the creative playmaking of the maestro Terry Lamb and talented halfback Craig Polamounta. Saints had got out of jail late against them in their earlier clash at Belmore and would be hoping for a more comfortable performance this time around. What transpired was one of the most complete St George performances under the reign of Brian Smith. Under the bright lights of the SCG, and with more than 35,000 in attendance, the Dragons dominated the Doggies' Ford pack all night for an inspired 23 points to 8 victory. Not only did the win guarantee the Dragons' finals football for a second consecutive season, it sounded a warning shot to the other Premiership hopefuls in the Winfield Cup. For the Saints, David Barnhill in his return from a three-match suspension and Scott Goulet who had dragged himself off a hospital bed with a virus were the Dragons' best. They laid the groundwork for the likes of Goldthorpe, Coyne and Potter to do their thing, which they did to a tee. The forwards had battered Canterbury so badly that bookmakers were putting the Bulldogs at 100-1 to 1 odds to win the Premiership. They couldn't see how they could bounce back if they had to play St George again, this time in the semi-finals. They were right. This set up a cracking contest against Brisbane in the penultimate round of the season at ANZ Stadium. The match could prove to be a real acid test for the Red V. 
Saints had lost their last three matches against Brisbane, including the 1992 Grand Final. Furthermore, many corners of the media felt that if the Dragons lost, it would be a crushing blow to any Premiership hopes. In fact, St George hadn't beaten Brisbane since their Round 17-1991 clash at Lang Park and had lost at home against the Broncos earlier in 1993. However, privately, the Dragons players and staff felt confident that they would go deep into the competition. They had built up a competitive roster and had vast squad depth with Rex Turp, Andrew Walker, Gordon Tallis, Nathan Brown and Neil Tierney all playing reserve grade in the upcoming match against Brisbane. They had also turned the corner form-wise. The win against Canterbury reversed a form run which had seen them lose three games out of their last five. Could the Dragons reverse their issues of past against Brisbane and relegate the Queenslanders to the dreaded fifth spot in the playoff chart? Absolutely enormous crowd has come into ANZ Stadium to see the Brisbane Broncos versus St George here tonight. As Paul pointed out, weather today has been inclement and it has eased just fractionally now, but probably a crowd of around 60,000. Michael Potter now leads St George out onto ANZ Stadium. They've got a tremendous record away from home, the Dragons. Long ball away. This is the second last on this set. Hardy uses Gilley. Gilley, he'll score. St. George get the first try. Gilley out wide, one of their pet plays. And this big youngster gets the first try. That pass from Collins looked forward to Barnhill. But he's through and away. Oh, it's a try. Easy as you like. Barnhill scores St. George's second. 23 up. 10 in. He's in very good form, Ian Heron. There it goes, coming around nicely. Oh, straight between the uprights again. Heron is kicking them from all over the park. 14 to 2 now. Bradley out wider. Great defence though, was it Chris Johns? Yes it was. This is the last. Galthorpe for drop goal. He's got it all right. Another point for the St George total. They lead 15 to 2 now. The Broncos are going to score. Here's the opportunity. There it is. Langer puts it down. McCallum asked the question of the in-goal judge yeah, about he, the put-down. Did he get the ball down? Yes, he did. Try to the Broncos. Madison from right in front. He seldom makes mistakes, and we're not going to see it there. 15 to 10. Saints by five now. Kerrod Walters, I'll tell you what, his effort in defence has been superb. Goldthorpe goes for the drop goal and gets another. 16 to 10 now. With Glenn Lazarus sending it down the ground. A desperation kick by Glenn Lazarus. Now Potter, he won't succumb to the voluntary tackle, that's for sure. And Saylor makes the tackle on him. And that's the end of the game. St George has defeated Brisbane by 16 points to 10. Tony Priddle remembers the feeling the squad got from the win over Brisbane, as well as playing in front of the biggest crowd in his career. Well, yeah, and that, and I like, uh, and you go beat Brisbane. I remember beating Brisbane at um, ANZ Stadium, yeah, where 
the massive goals, crowd know, that night as well. well. The biggest crowd I think I've ever played in front of, mm. even bigger than the grand finals. Yeah, there was, I think it was nearly 60, uh, 50 or 60,000 people. Yeah, me, the Australian Footy Stadium, the AFS, didn't hold that many people. Yeah, I think it only held so, about 40, 41. Yeah, that's what I mean. So I think it was 56,000. If that just that number just came to mind that night at Brisbane, but that was the biggest crowd I ever got to play in front of. And we beat them convincingly that night. In front of a record crowd in Brisbane, the Dragons had again proved the doubters wrong with an upset 16 points to 10 win. Saints had to work hard late on as Brisbane finished with a flurry, but they did enough defensively to deny them a late victory. Mick Potter made a brilliant try-saving tackle on Alan Cairn when he looked destined to get the Broncos back within a converted try. Potter was in his final year at the Dragons after announcing his retirement midway through the 1993 season. Football fans were sad to see him go as he was still in career-best form. His defensive play had been superb in recent weeks as highlighted by his tackle on Cairn in the Round 22 clash. One other player that was getting plaudits from all corners of the rugby league world was Graham Bradley. His form had been a revelation during 1993. The man nicknamed Penguin by his teammates was built like a second rower but had the pace and ball skills of a centre. This gave Saints two legitimate strike weapons out wide along with Mark Coyne. Despite only scoring three tries so far during the Winfield Cup season, Bradley's defence was top-notch. He was a great reader of opposition attacks and vastly experienced as well. Bradley would be a valuable player moving forward and one that the Dragons could rely on to do his job week in and week out. St George had gone bang-bang to finish the regular season and in the meantime wrap up second place. The confidence was brimming from players and staff right down to the fans who truly believed that this was their year to taste success. Saints had a soft draw to finish 1992 and despite a tough encounter with Western Suburbs in the final round, had had previous clashes with 13th place South and 11th place Balmain to finish the season. In 1993, they defeated Canterbury and Brisbane in back-to-back weeks, both heavyweight sides and both matches played in semi-final-like atmospheres. This had set up the Dragons for what promised to be a gruelling semi-final series. By virtue of finishing second, Saints had been drawn to face Canberra in the major semi-final at the Sydney Football Stadium. Canberra had demolished St George by 30 points to two during their regular season game in Adelaide. Prior to that, a 12-man Dragons side had stunned the Raiders by 22 points to eight in the opening game of the 1993 season. This match would be very different to the prior two clashes, however. There was a lot more at stake with the winner qualifying for the grand final qualifier against the minor premier Canterbury Bulldogs. Canberra's situation, however, had worsened in the second last round of the competition. The Raiders had romped to a record 68-0 drubbing of lowly Parramatta, but they counted the cost of the win with champion halfback Ricky Stewart fracturing his ankle and therefore ruining his 1993 campaign. This clearly gave St George an advantage, but the Red V would have to be on their toes. Canberra still had loads of quality with players such as Laurie Daly, Mal Meninga, Brett Mullins and Gary Belcher all featuring for the Green Machine. Could a rejuvenated St George outfit take a giant leap towards Premiership Redemption in their first match in September? Well, the crowd, they go up in volume because the St George Dragons come out looking to make their second grand final in as many years 
They went down to Brisbane last year. It all started back in around about late March, early April. We're getting close to the culmination of the quest in 1993. Kick magnificently at ANZ the other night with all that pressure on him. 58,500 at Brisbane's home ground, so this, this shouldn't be a problem, and it's not. He dissects the big sticks. St George, they get the first points of the semi-final. They lead 2-0. Noel Gawthorpe doesn't look to pass the ball. But Coyne gets into a space inside the 40-metre line. Walford, Mandruku won't get him. Walford, he gets the first try. Well, Mandruku, he had two on one. He tried to take the first. He had to drop off him. Tried for the second, but Welford showed great speed. St George leading 6-0. This is the last. Gulfthorpe again. He's all over the park. Goes for the drop goal and gets it. Another point for St George. He's a drop kick uh, freak, this kid. That's his ninth for the season, I think. Coin. He got around Croker. Coin's very fast. So is Welford. So is Potter. Potter, he scores! Second try of the day for the Dragons. Michael Potter, in his farewell year, gets a try in the semi-final. Well, I reckon it's nearly all over. Saints have finished this half sensationally. Mark Coyne, once again, a big right foot steps, put him into open spaces. There's plenty of Canberra defence. Look at them. There's a million of them. And he's beaten them all. Belcher's kick. That's not a knock-on. Phil Blake is very fast. Stone is chasing. Will he get him? No, Blake's over. Blake gets the try. Gurley. Gurley. Great pass. That's Rex Turk. Inside ball. Heron. He's got 15 to go. Reaches the 10 metre line. Quick play the ball and St George will score on the right. Collins, long pass, Gulfthorpe, short pass, Blake, he scores! Gets his second try, the Dragons are stampeding. Keeps the ball going, no chance here, that's when they will score in the corner. The big fella gets it down, Canberra gets on the board, 25-4, 20 minutes of action remaining. Centre of the ground, close to the uprights. Talis. Collins. Mackay. Mackay! Red Mackay gets it over. Nobody deserves a try more than he does. Uh, he's had a big game, Brad Mackay. Very simple little move around the dummy half area. Wayne Collins also had a big game in that particular area. Back in top form now, Wayne Collins. Look at this, the dummy. Then back the other way. And there's uh, Steve Stone had him covered. But Mackay, pure determination, got him over the line. Daly. Meningo angling back towards the centre. Stone. Now Pongy up. Pongy up. Throws the pass in desperation. David Ferner goes for the corner. David Ferner gets the try. Well, that was a... Very, very smart piece of work by Quentin Pongia. 
I didn't know he had it in him, but you'll see it again on replay. 31 to 10, St George. So referee Harrigan goes in to try and uh, quell this little bit of a, a disturbance that has been running or raging for the last three or four minutes. The siren, meantime, has sounded. It's taken none of the luster away from the victory by St George. 31 points to 10. One of the St George stars injured in the final seconds. Let's hope he's okay. Five tries to two. They don't come any more comprehensive than this. The Dragons, as I said in the commentary, they were breathing smoke or they were puffing fire, whatever they're doing. They were great today for their coach and their fans. And they advance now. Canberra left to flirt with the danger of a sudden death semi-final. Mark Coyne. That was the name on the lips of every journalist in the press gallery and every St George fan walking out of the stadium at full time. He was even the name on the lips of Canberra supporters, but they wouldn't admit it as their side left the SFS with their tail firmly between their legs after the 31 points to 10 shellacking. Coyne was simply irresistible in the cauldron of the Sydney football stadium. Twice he carved the Canberra edge defence to pieces with incisive runs. Coyne had always been highly rated within St George circles, but was now starting to be noticed for the classy player that he was. Despite picking up origin selections in 1990, 1992 and 1993, he wasn't given his dues. This performance had even the most ardent of sceptics applauding Coyne's ability both with and without the football. He also put in a sterling performance defensively for the Dragons, shutting down any Canberra attack that was directed his way. Perhaps Canberra had miscalculated by placing Brett Mullins in the centre role and shifting Mal Meninga out to 5'8". Regardless of the plans set by Tim Sheens, Coyne foiled them and was a unanimous choice for man of the match. Coyne's value to St George was being underpinned with these types of performances as well as his leadership off the field. Mick Potter's departure at the end of the season opened the door for Coyne to be named as skipper and his leadership would be imperative to St George's success over the next half decade. The win had also been a watershed moment for Brad Mackay who, looking back, didn't remember many games against Canberra when the score was under 40 points. And I remember in that semi-final series, we flogged Canberra. Canberra Raiders, you know, we flogged, we beat them really well in one of the semis. And it was like, man, I don't think I've ever played Canberra. For, for I reckon for, for the first few years, I never, the score was never under about 40, you know. Every yeah. time we played, they flogged us. And, and, and that was... Um, that was kind of like, man, like we beat them today and we beat, well, I think we put 30 on them in the semi. Saints had powered to another semi-final victory and continued their great form in the process. They now had three straight wins by playing aggressive, attacking and skillful football. There had been a shift in focus and play by St George in 1993 compared to that of 1992. A compressed and grinding style with a focus on defence had helped the Dragons in 1992. But with the change in defensive rules, defence retreating 5 metres was altered to 10 metres during the 1993 season, the side had begun using their mobile forward pack to unleash their skills to contribute to the attack. Adding to this was the addition of talented backs Phil Blake and Graham Bradley to a backline that had matured over the last 12 months. 
the Dragons' destiny was now in their own hands. A preliminary final against minor premiers Canterbury was on the horizon the following week. Both sides could afford to lose, but that wasn't an option at Cogra. Saints went into the clash confident. With last week's win still fresh in their minds, the Dragons felt they were a more complete football side than Canterbury. They scraped past the dogs at Belmore in their first meeting before outclassing them all over the park in their clash at the SCG just three weeks ago. St George had class all over the field, but who would be the players to stamp their authority in the preliminary final? Jason Stevens had been dominant against a physical Raiders pack in the major semi-final, and according to teammate Brad Mackay, was keen to try and intimidate whoever was the big dog. In this game, that meant Marty Bella. And he was he was uh, such a key member to that team mm. um, for us. Um, I remember the first. I, I don't know if I can't remember this order, but Steve O said to me, I think we might have played Canterbury the first semi. He said to me, "Hey Brad, what's Marty Bella? What's his go?" And I said, "Oh, Jace, take it easy on him, mate. You know, <laughs> don't go too hard. Um, you know, go hard at him. You know, take him on, but respect him, man, because he's a well-seasoned player." And he goes, "I'm going to smash him." Oh, no. <laughs> and, and he goes out there and, and he and he belts him all over the park. With a spot in the grand final on offer, the Saints would be throwing everything at Canterbury as the Sydney rivals locked horns at a full capacity Sydney football stadium. Could the Red V make it back to the grand final? And now the Dragons. Michael Potter. Deli M, captain of the year. And look at the red and white army. They're here today. They have always been one of the favourite clubs in rugby league. Their fans haven't let them down today. Brad Mackay is there. There was a big question mark when he left here last weekend. The danger of Goulet. Potter, Walford, Coy and Bradley, Heron, Smith, Goldthorpe, Brittle, Collins, Stevens at the front. Talis Goulet in the second row. Mackay locks them. Mark Coyne, the speed man in number three. Brian Smith is the coach. Tony Smith puts it high. Again, a good kick and a test for Scott Wilson. He never got near it. Walford gives it away. Piddle goes over. Piddle! Tony Piddle scores! And the last pass is the one we must look at. McCallum was in good position. More of a handoff by Walford to Riddle. It's a beautiful big kick here by Tony Smith. They're all on side. Scotty Wilson. Well, it was Mark Coyne going for the ball. This last pass. Well, that looks forward. Yeah, it's one of those decisions, isn't it? And the funny thing about when this try is scored, Brad McCoy is fairly upset with Tony Priddle that he does not improve the position of where the try is scored. There was not a Canterbury player within Cooey, and he puts the ball straight down, Tony Priddle. It could have taken that round almost under the posts. He keeps it in the scrum, as a matter of fact, with Canterbury. Oh, Coyne! Coyne, it's through! Gets it away for Walford! Walford on Scott Wilson! Goes over the pub of him! Beats Terry Lamb! Goes back to the centre! Golds up! Golds up! Runs out of pace! Oh, tremendous football by the Dragons! Turned inside by Goldthorpe. Blake goes scurrying through. Oh, miraculous stuff. And Goulet. Oh, Goulet. He puts it down. Mark Coyne. Fair dinkum. He's Houdini. 
That's a Houdini pass from Toy. Magical stuff from the Saints. Beautiful stuff by St. George. A nice handy lead at half-time for them now. But really, I think Terry Lamb to blame for probably this try. Well, we'll see that. The last tackle here, Noel Goldthorpe. Dummies to kick. Let's have a look. We freeze it there. There you see it is Terry Lamb that has come in there. That opens up the gap on the inside here. It's the last tackle. They've overread it. A big hole there. Amazing work here from Mark Coyne to swivel and turn and Scott Goulet. That is a planned move from St George. The last tackle option, running the football on the inside. The two ran out of the line trying to snuff the play. The defence back on the inside didn't move up. And that's where the hole was. And Scott Goulet finishes off a great St George try. Mackay takes the last one as the half-time siren sounds. So St George goes to the break. The two big men, Priddle and Goulet, they scored the tries. Ian Heron has kicked one from two. Canterbury yet to get on the board, but that's not to say that they haven't threatened danger. In fact, for a greater part of the first half, they probably looked the more dangerous of the two sides. Goldthorpe. Scott Wilson a test again. Oh, he's made a meal of it. Here's a try. This is a try. Gordon Pellis! Gordon Pellis! Saints get a try! Yeah, they're looking trouble now, the Bulldogs. Another mistake by the Canterbury side. And 14-0. think it'll be hard for them to come back from here. Well, that's going to make it tough now, Heron. Not an easy conversion, but again, a big lead just after half-time. We've seen this in all the semi-finals. This one getting away from Canterbury. Inquisitive look from Ian Heron. That's what he's got in front of him. Oh, it's right on line. St. George are on line for a grand final appointment. 16 points to nil. Having a picnic. This is the last terrible pass, and Goldthorpe sets for the drop goal. Oh! Oh, from 35 out. He's got it. Well, he got a shocking pass. He had to go up like Kazali to bring it down. And still there was no pressure on him. And then he gets this kick in from 35 out. Well, at 16-0, it's probably not that necessary, but it's been a trademark of their St. George. They love to kick the field goals, and Goldthorpe has become a specialist. Now Coyne, Peter, puts his foot down, runs to the winger, draws him, and puts Walford on a saloon passage in to score another try. Oh, how easy. Well, Mark, how easy. Mark Coyne's been the hero of the St. George semi-final charge. He's done it again here. This is simple, basic defensive lapses by Canterbury. They've made the error. The knock-on, and two tackles later, Saints have made them pay. Well, from the scrum, there you go. First tackle. That's Mark Coyne. Williams come in on him for. Exactly. I mean, he's just got to stay on his band. Gary Connolly always had Mark Coyne covered, and Jason Williams couldn't put it with Ricky Walford been in great form. Well, that's it now. Saints marching into the grand final. Ian Heron, that's the 20-metre line. And five in, and they're over there somewhere. Two from three. And here it goes. Oh, look at that. Perfect kick. Ian Heron... Bella's head goes down. 23 points to nil, 52 gone.
Three from four for Ian Hill. Likes what he's doing. So do the fans behind him. Straight over the dot. 25 points to nil. 66 minutes gone. No way St George played at the ball. Sidaris runs into a gap. Here's a play. Canterbury eventually cracks St George. They've proved at last that they're not impregnable. And it was just a simple missed tackle that led to this try. Six again was signalled. Sidaris, who worked fairly hard out there, just bumped off one straight between. Well, that's a reaching arm of, of Jason Stephen. Nice pass back inside to Darren Smith. He's worked hard, but he really has been contained quite well. Just a good bump off here. I don't know who the tackle is. Goldthorpe. Goldthorpe. Nice work by Sedaris. He's tried pretty hard today, too, for the Canterbury side. Been one of their few good players. And Darren Smith has done a lot of work, always backing up at the inside. Ian Heron from right in front. Had some critics over the last 12 months or so, but goodness it's hard to follow his performance not only with the boot with his general play as well over the last few weeks 73 minutes gone the mighty saints according to the kids 27 to 6 they're in front jason smith good piece of work Dimmick, Dimmick will score Dimmick gets another. get another try 27 to 10 dying minutes and george in front canterbury looking for some respectability 27 to 12 the crowd are about to take over tries for some george by tony Preddle, scott Gurley, gordon tallis ricky walford heron got five from six and noel goldthorpe got the drop goal 27 big points for St George. St George just wouldn't relent. A commanding and dominant 27 points to 12 defeat of Canterbury had guided the Red V into their second consecutive grand final. It's funny, isn't it? After being written off at the beginning of both 1992 and 1993, the Dragons had shown the resolve to prove the doubters wrong. Unfortunately, members of the media hadn't learned their lesson from last season. It had been a slap in the face of accomplished players like Brad Mackay, Mark Coyne, Noel Goldthorpe and Scott Goulet. Not just to them, but also to the whole St George Dragons club. The performances that the side had been showing at the back end of the season had been extremely impressive. With four straight wins next to their name, the Dragons were flying. Against Canterbury, Brad Mackay had one of his best days defensively. He hustled relentlessly and wouldn't let star playmaker Terry Lamb do a thing. With limited distribution, Jared McCracken and Gary Connolly were rendered almost useless. Much had been made of McCracken's matchup with Graham Bradley, but it was Tesslock Mackay that stole all the headlines with a dynamic display. Credit had to go to Brian Smith and his coaching staff, who had completely revolutionised the St George Club over the last three seasons. His assistant coach, who was also the reserve grade coach, Rod Reddy, had been a great support network, as well as doing a marvellous job in nurturing the promising talent coming through. The fans packed the Taj Mahal, also known as the St George Leagues Club, as their heroes returned to bask in semi-final glory. 
Dragons fans all across the country were certain that 1993 was the year that they would finally break their duck. They had to wait two weeks to find out. In the lead-up to the grand final, St George waited patiently to find out who their opponents would be. Brisbane had made a remarkable run from fifth spot, having eliminated Manly and Canberra on their way to a grand final qualifier against Canterbury. The Dogs, hurting from the humbling loss to St George, were confident of a turnaround. Brisbane would end up prevailing by 23 points to 16 in the bruising and physical encounter and therefore qualify for the grand final. Encouragement was given to St George as Brisbane appeared to be fading in the final 20 minutes of the contest against Canterbury. The toll appeared to be showing on the bodies of the Brisbane side that had played three sudden death semi-finals back to back to back. Could they keep it going against a refreshed St George? The grand final week can go by in a blur. Saints had experienced that in 1992, but felt the experience of all the festivities, the cameras, the fans and the expectations had prepared them better for their tour at the title in 1993. St George had a chance to refocus and more importantly get a week's break to rest any aches and pains. Brisbane surprisingly had been instilled as favourites for the grand final. Despite their arduous run to the decider, St George was seen on the outer. This suited Brian Smith and the Dragons just fine. The expectations wouldn't be there. The mix of youth and experience laid St George in good stead for the clash with the Broncos. In Jason Stevens, Tony Priddle, David Barnhill and Scott Goulet, the Saints had the punch and size to match it with Brisbane. Just like they had four weeks ago at ANZ Stadium. That night, both Goulet and Barnhill had standout games, including crossing for tries in the first half. They would need to be at their best in the attempt to bash the Brisbane forwards all over the park in the grand final. At least, that's what the Red V faithful were hoping for. There was fanfare at the Sydney Football Stadium as the minutes and seconds expired towards kickoff. American superstar Tina Turner was in attendance to perform her iconic Simply the Best tune. It had been the theme song of rugby league in Australia since she had been lured down under to perform the track in 1989. A few wayward heads in the St George dressing room leaned out to get a glance at the glittering Turner. They were quickly reprimanded as Brian Smith reminded them of what was on offer. The nerves intensified as kickoff grew near and the two sides went out for the national anthem. A fair portion of the 1992 side remained and they were used to the pre-match festivities and they settled in without a hitch. For Nathan Brown, Jason Stevens, and Gordon Tallis, this was the land of the unknown, however. 42,000 people, a sea of red and white, a fair few Broncos fans too. The noise, atmosphere and Sydney skyline all hitting at once. As players took their positions and tracksuits were rushed off the ground, a frenzied start was had by St George. After Brisbane opted to receive, Saints kicked off and thundered into the Brisbane attack. In tackle two, the hopes of Jason Stevens and St George took a devastating and cruel blow. Racing out of the line to put a hit on his opposite number, Glenn Lazarus, Stevens got his thumb jammed in between his own body and that of Lazarus. What transpired was a compound fracture of the thumb that left Stevens in agony and unable to take further part in the game. The dragon hurt. He's gone to ground. I think it's Jason Stevens. He's yes, clutching at a wrist. Signal to the bench for Jason Stevens. He hasn't moved. He's in a heap of trouble, Jason Stevens. Jeff Hardy, the man on the sideline, coming on to replace him. 
problem with the wrist, oh, he's got a really bad cut there on his hand. He's also got a dislocation of the of the thumb. You can mm. see it sticking out at right angles there. I'll just grab that and, and pull it back in, but there's a lot of blood there. Let's go down to the sideline, block a roach. Yeah, it was from a swinging arm on Glenn Lazarus. He's dislocated his thumb really badly. I think the, the bones come out of the socket from all the blood. He's now leaving for the blood bin. 41, Jeff Hardy will come on a little bit earlier than he would have expected. Only two minutes into the game, a minute and a half, in fact. Grand final debut gone horribly wrong for Jason Stevens. St George's game plan all season had been a strong presence up front and ability to swarm opponents with big bodies running through the centre of the field. Stevens was the focal point of that. Stevens' injury also brought into play fellow prop Tony Priddle's own mortality. Well, yeah, the Jason Stevens incident was probably the biggest thing that happened, and like it's the, it's the obviously the most um, outstanding memory I have of that because you know being a, being his front row partner, like, um, and obviously you don't want to see shit like that on the field um, because that brings your own mortality into play. Um, but yeah, I think that was probably the biggest key turning point because. You know, being so fired up, having the forward pack we had, and he comes out of a tackle and he's got his thumb, his bone thick sticking out the top of his where yeah. his thumb should have been, wasn't real um, conducive for holding that momentum. St George would have had a like-for-like -like replacement in Neil Tierney, but Smith didn't pick him. Tinney had been on the interchange bench in the 27 points to 12 win over Canterbury just a fortnight earlier. He had a similar frame to Stevens and was a damaging ball runner. A player that could match it with the likes of Glenn Lazarus and Andrew G. Instead, a bench that didn't have a recognised prop had to think on the fly. As Stevens rushed off the field, blood gushing from his hand, utility Jeff Hardy was thrown on as his replacement. Hardy, a nuggety and skillful player who had played a lot of football off the bench during 1993, was more of a back rower than a prop. Despite being outmanned, he put in one of his best performances of the season and a performance that Hardy himself rates as one of his best games ever. Yeah, I got, I got thrust out there, straight in there, and straight into the action. And, um, and um, you know, tried my best, but things didn't go our way, did it? Like, we were in the struggle, we are in the fight. But um, just couldn't get across the line when we needed to, and and Brisbane just pulled out a couple of good plays. You know, so we got to to, to to just pip us on the post. You know, uh, a real disappointment because we'd gone so well, and then you know circumstances like that. You know, you can't blame them. You can't mm. you can't make excuses for losing, but obviously didn't help us. Oh well, obviously you had to do a job in the middle, and um, and you know do a lot more defending. There's a lot, there's a lot of you know a, a lot more. You're involved a lot more. It was a warm day. I can still mm. remember it. Um, but no, I didn't mind. I was just, I, mean, I played all over the place. I was just happy to play. And that's throughout my whole, whole career. Wherever the team wanted me to play, I'd play, and I just more than happy just to be there, just stoked to be there. And throw me on in the front row, throw me on, I'd, I'll, I'll go out there and do my best. And and and, um, and I was actually pleased with the way I played that day. I can still remember that, that, that game and um, 
I left nothing in the tank, you know, just went as hard as I could, like all like all of us did. But um, we didn't get the cash. <laughs> as Hardy worked tirelessly, the Dragons were dealt another hammer blow on 25 minutes when star centre Mark Coyne hobbled off after damaging knee cartilage. Again, an interesting decision was made. Despite having Rex Turp, a talented and speedy centre on the bench who had played in the 1992 Grand Final, Smith opted to shift Brad Mackay into the centres and shuffle the rest of the side accordingly. I, I, I bounced up out of the um, out of the out of the chair and uh, you know <laughs> put me in, coach. Put me in. <laughs> uh, he ended up going. He ended up going with uh, Brad Mackay, and it was you know again he he would he would look at how the game was unfolding, what was sort of taking place, what he wanted to do. Um, so. He, Again, you would think that oh, if, a, if a back went down, I'd be straight in. But he would, again, have a thought process, well, this is how the game's playing. I probably want someone that's going to be a bit stronger at a dummy half, um, you know, and he, you know, he went with went with Brad and, like, you know, Brad's an unbelievable footballer. Um, so, again, he, he just, he always sort of had benches set up so he could he could have those options. It was only a temporary measure as Coyne would come back later on but was severely hampered by the injury and didn't really pose a risk to the Broncos' defence. Stuttering attack and simple handling errors curtailed any hopes of the Dragons despite their best efforts. The boot of Ian Heron kept the Saints in the game until 12 minutes remained when a try to Willie Kahn put the Dragons out of their misery. A season that had offered so much ultimately went up in flames on the biggest stage of them all. Players were bitterly disappointed, but openly admitted that they were beaten by a better side, regardless of the injuries. You know, looking at the players still, you know, our team, if you match the team up against the Brisbane Broncos, who were even better that year, um, you know, they beat us again. We got beaten. We got beaten by a better side. You know, we played, we got smashed in the first year, 92. And in 93, you know, we, we brought the game down to a scrappy type of game and we still got beaten. You know, we didn't let them throw the ball around. It was probably a pretty ugly grand final to watch. There was nothing super classical about that game. But they still beat us. And they beat us players. They beat us with skill. They beat us with everything. We, we, you walk off and you go, well, what do you do? Brisbane had again proved what a champion side they were with a clinical performance. They played within themselves at times, but rarely gave St George an opportunity to create. Especially in the forwards, where the big men from Saints, who had been so effective in the lead-up semi-final matches, were nullified and ineffective. The disappointment with losing a grand final could stretch for weeks. However, Dragons prop Tony Priddle had a philosophical view on what had transpired. Well, so to be, to be 100% honest, I learned from 1992 that we couldn't do anything about it. So the next the season was going to start again next year. So I literally went, well, that was really disappointing to a disappointing end to a really good year. Uh, but fuck it. There's nothing I can do about it now. Let's go and party. One positive to come out of the grand final defeat was Brad Mackay winning the Clive Churchill medal for best on ground. In a beaten side, Mackay had performed well above his fellow teammates and even some of the Brisbane players. He was tireless in defence and made a couple of incisive breaks through the middle of the field. He had also been shifted out into the centres when Mark Coyne had been taken off and performed that role admirably. It was one of Mackay's greatest achievements in rugby league. It's probably one of the 
Uh, one of the, it was the best award that I've ever won. Um, you know, I, I've, um, I've played Origin for Australia and, and, and et cetera, et cetera. I won, won Player of the Year awards, but that is the single best award I've won. So I can't that, – that is up there with the best things I've done in rugby league. And um, to come off the game in a, in a losing grand final – and um, and to still be the judge, the best player in the field by some pretty good judges, I'll take that any day, yeah. Although bitterly disappointed with losing another grand final, Brian Smith and his troops could be proud of what they had achieved over the last two seasons. Smith himself had taken a club that was void of any professionalism or pride to close to the summit in the space of three years. He had inherited a squad of bit part players when taking over at the end of the 1990 season and had transformed Saints into a formidable football side that showed spirit, heart and resilience. He had instilled pride back into the mighty Red V of St George. For a side that was basically written off in both 1992 and 1993, they proved many corners of the rugby league community wrong with inspired performances. Remembering this was a squad that had very few representative players. When comparing with Brisbane's champion team of the early 1990s, who were chock full of international and state players, Smith's unique coaching style had truly got the best out of the squad he had assembled. Furthermore, for St George to push Brisbane all the way for 80 minutes in 1993 was a sensational effort. St George would feature in one more grand final as a standalone unit in 1996, a season after Brian Smith had departed. The methods, training and game plans were all very similar when new coach David Waite took the helm. Smith enjoyed two more seasons at St George, including an exciting run to the semi-finals in 1995. He left as coach unable to break the drought of premierships at St George but is remembered as a man who put his everything into restoring pride to a club that was lost in the wilderness in the late 1980s. To Brian Smith and every St George player that donned the red and white of the Dragons during 1992 and 1993, their service to the football club and effort in putting St George back where it belongs will never be understated. The rings might be missing, but the pride and memories are not.
I'm Ben Cray and you're listening to the Red V Podcast with Jack and Johnny. Really hope you enjoyed not only part five of the missing rings, but uh, the full assortment uh, of those. Uh, they're available in the archives, Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Have you listen uh, to uh, your long form podcast? Uh, you can jump on there. We did have uh, have had some wonderful feedback from uh, from from different people. So um, uh, if you do want to, if you cut, that's kind of piqued your interest. We actually have done a another documentary series that we did uh, back in 2020. It's called um, well, it's, it's detailing the 1996 season of the St George Dragons called rags to riches and uh, I guess all in amongst that is that the Super League war the Dragons only having uh, 10 or so players at pre-season training and then uh, coming through the other side to make it through the grand final so some similarities there with uh, what we've uh, what you would have heard uh, in the missing ring so thanks so much for the kind feedback and uh, really hope it's been uh, enjoyable for you we've got uh, a couple of uh, good uh, interviews coming up including one with uh, Matty Elliott that will play for you on next week's podcast let's jump into your fans corner questions for this week we've got some really good ones obviously relating to a Different things about the Dragons. Uh, Sean Ganano sent one in. We'll get to Sean's question in a minute. We've got questions about, I guess, the tradition and history of St. George, St. George Illawarra. Illawarra, does it all merge together as one or are they two separate clubs? Uh, and also some about uh, Zach Lomax. But our first question uh, comes from a dear friend of the podcast, Tim Boucher. And Tim was asking us um, here on the Red V podcast a little bit about uh, the Dragons jersey. What, uh, uh, why is there, there no recognition of, of the Illawarra heritage and the influence that Illawarra's had, not only on, on just the Illawarra Steelers, or not only the St. George Dragons, but also this current venture of uh, St. George Illawarra. And this is what Tim asked us this week on the Red V Podcast. Hey, Jack and Curtis. Hope you're both doing well. Hope the off-season's treating you guys well and you're having a good December leading up into Christmas. Um, my question today is about the Dragons jersey. It, it seems that the designs for next season have been leaked and it seems to be a common refrain amongst the fans that um, people aren't really happy with the uh, the lack of creativity over the last couple of years with the jerseys. Um, my question to you guys is, um, the, the Red V's always been represented in the jersey's design, uh, as it should, you know, the great, uh, amazing history of uh, the St. George side of the merger. Uh, should the Dragons be looking at maybe, um, you know, I guess for the alternate strip or the away strip, uh, having a like a Steelers-based design with the uh, the scarlet and the uh, the white hoops, maybe, and um, make, making like a modern adaptation of that classic Steelers jersey? Um, seems to be a lot of people online who would be in favour of that and would would flock to buy the jersey. Um, what, what do you guys think of that idea? Cheers. It's an interesting question there from uh, from Tim Kurt um, about the. Uh, I guess having a having a jersey that's dedicated to to the Steelers, and I think that's completely fair. I know there's probably going to be a lot of fans blowing up about this, but this is not the St George Dragons. This club is not the St George Dragons. It is a it is a mixture. It doesn't matter what's happening at board level. It doesn't matter that Illawarra sold their stake and and Win uh, Win Corporation now own fifty percent, and St George District Rugby League owns fifty percent. It doesn't matter about that. It's St George Illawarra. It's not the St George Dragons. So I think it's it's about time that there's and this isn't saying that they're going to wear an Illawarra jersey 
shows you all the time and the red the red V is going to be killed off and different things like that. It's just four or five times a year showing some showing, showing some respect to the other side of the venture, showing respect to the players that have come to the Illawarra region, not only today, but back through the heydays of the 50s and 60s that we've just spoken about in the, the Who Am I segment. Uh, I, I think it'd be a nice little kind of nod of the cap or tip of the cap if they, they did um, open open something up or at least uh, have some kind of conversations where you are able to get that uh, that Illawarra Heritage jersey um, uh, discussions happening because we've seen the alternate dragon strip and I guess the red strip, but I guess there's similarities to, to what Illawarra wore, but it's not that traditional that uh, the old school BHP with the the, the red, the, like the, the, the scarlet and, and then we've got the white hoops across the, the sleeves and different things like that. I, I think it would be a great look for the dragons to, to really um, endorse something like this and, and move on with it um, in, in future years. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a couple of ways that the Dragons can do it. The, the first way is that they can, you know, they can just announce that their alternative strip or their away strip is just the – they did it in the, the early 2000s, and it mm. looks great. Um, so they don't even have to make a big deal about it. It can just be one of their jerseys. I, I'm a little bit surprised, but then, again, not that their alternative – for next year is, I've got the Dragons World 7s jersey from 93 or something. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, so, look, there's a couple of ways to it. And and, and I, it will sell like hotcakes because it is part of history. I mean, what is wrong with with that? Um, and I would go one, one further because at the end of the day, the Dragons have two colours. They're white and they're red. Mm. They're the two colours that they are. And then they've gone through, you know, they've, got, they've had grey jerseys and black jerseys and it's almost like they don't want to embrace that. But like you said, it's part of their history. And uh, look, a lot of, you know, six-year-olds and 10-year-olds won't get it. And they might say, oh, mum, that's a nice jersey. Can you get that for Christmas? But there, there is such a large chunk of, of fans, uh, nostalgic fans, that feel like, and it does not necessarily just the Dragons, but a lot of clubs don't embrace that enough. I mean, well, why not, like you said, a couple of times a year, Wollongong home game. Imagine on a Sunday afternoon they, yeah. they say that they're going to um, promote their their, their, their their new away jersey for the year or their alternative jersey, and it's a beautiful scarlet red. And, and have, an old boys, have an old boys day like Newcastle do. Oh, doesn't have to be the last game of the season. Yeah. Get Rod Wishart down there. Get I know Brad Mackay played for St. George, but get Brad Mackay, get John Dorrie, get, get all those guys Great that, that played there in the 80s and yeah. 90s. Yeah, great minds, Jack. And that was my next point was that, and, and I can ask you this, I haven't been to a match in Wollongong for a couple of years, but um, are they doing like, um, you know, they're celebrating the 92 Steelers or do they celebrate the, the last ever Steelers team or the, the first Steelers team and have a run on and have some, you know, uh, you know, some not necessarily just Steelers flags, but some paraphernalia and really embrace the, the South Coast and what Wollongong have done because – that's it's fifty fifty now. Mm, like, it and, is. Uh, and, and look, I, I don't see it. It's not a bad thing to to have that that scarlet red jersey and and to now imagine if you had McNeil down there, like with the red yeah. and talking yeah. about all that stuff, and you know talking about the old days when it was you know um, or celebrating the the, the white BHP Steelers jersey when they they didn't they win a two yeah. cup or something? They beat they the did, yeah, ninety two. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so. And that is, if I was, you know, part of the marketing or PR team of the Dragons, and I think there's another question coming up talking about embracing the past, that goes two ways. There is so much content 
and I'm going to use a, a, a magazine advertising term here, there's so much evergreen content that mm. the club could be using
Social Podcast Network.